bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratty. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. We got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. He doesn't have a bipartisan bill. Nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik. This is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 29th, 2013. I'll begin this week's podcast with an update on the negotiations in Congress about a possible increase in the debt ceiling. I will also discuss the latest developments in the move towards comprehensive tax reform. In this week's Historic Tax Credit section, I'll review changes proposed for the State Historic Tax Credit in New York. I also will discuss another development in the historic Boardwalk Hall tax credit case. In our low-income housing tax credit segment, I'll share a comment invitation about HUD's planned expansion of the Energy and Performance Information Center. I also have news about a study released by the Iowa Finance Authority about its housing priorities for the next five years. In our new market tax credit section, I'll share an opportunity to comment on proposed regulations to establish Alaska's New Markets Tax Credit Assistance Guarantee and Loan Program. And finally, in our renewable energy discussion, I'll talk about a common invitation from the Treasury Department related to the Section 1603 annual reports and the findings of a report about the economic impacts of Hawaii's solar energy tax credit. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, a bill to provide a short-term debt extension for the debt ceiling, and the extension would go through May 18th, passed the House last week with a vote of 285 to 144. The bill, H.R. 325, also includes a provision that would suspend lawmakers' pay if they don't pass a budget by April. Now, as many of our listeners know, the Senate hasn't passed a budget for quite a number of years, whereas the House has been passing a budget on a year-to-year basis. That said, we do expect the bill to pass the Senate and then the President to sign it quickly. So what that means from a budgetary perspective is we do expect to see a Senate budget bill this year. Now, if you're wondering what impact extending the debt ceiling three months is likely to have in terms of upcoming pending deadlines, the next key deadline I'd focus on is the sequester. The sequester runs or kicks in in early March, And, as many listeners know, the sequester is expected to have an impact on the funding for numerous HUD programs, as well as the Section 1603 cash grant program. So as we approach March 1st, a lot of attention is going to be paid to the sequester and the impact it will have on some of these programs. I also note that the continuing resolution goes through just about the end of March, so that will be the next key deadline. And then after that, of course, the debt ceiling will be the deadline of May 18th. There'll need to be another extension of the debt ceiling. And once you get past that deadline, the next key deadline will be September 30th, the end of the fiscal year in October 1st being the start of fiscal year 2014. I also note in the coming weeks, we do expect to see a release of President Obama's budget for fiscal year 2014, wherein the president himself 
will establish a number of key priorities. Now turning to the House Ways and Means Committee, last week Chairman Dave Camp released a financial products discussion draft. This is part of his committee's, the Ways and Means Committee's, broader effort on comprehensive tax reform. This financial products discussion draft outlines changes to tax rules designed to provide greater simplicity and uniformity in this area of tax law. The discussion draft consolidates several reforms and is targeted to provide more uniform tax treatment of financial products. Now specifically, this discussion draft includes six proposals. One, it provides uniform tax treatment of financial derivatives. Two, simplifies business hedging tax rules. Three, and this might be the most significant provision to our listeners, eliminates phantom tax resulting from debt restructurings. Oftentimes with debt restructurings, phantom income is generated, which leads to tax. And this provision would eliminate this phantom income that results in phantom tax when you do debt restructurings. Number four, it would harmonize the tax treatment of bonds traded at a discount or a premium on the secondary market. It would, number five, increase the accuracy of determining gains and losses and sales of securities. And six, uh, it would prevent the harvesting of tax losses on securities. Now, a press release about the discussion draft said it reflects Chairman Camp's approach to tax reform and described as an open and transparent process in which stakeholders are encouraged to review and comment on specific legislation prior to formal legislative action. So this is one small step on the march towards tax reform, but it is a step. In historic tax credit news, I'd like to turn to New York, where Governor Andrew Cuomo has included some historic tax credit legislation in his 2013-2014 budget proposal. Specifically, on January 22nd, Governor Cuomo presented his budget and managed a plan to the state legislature. The plan included several changes to New York's Historic Commercial Properties Rehabilitation Tax Credit Program. The governor proposed the following. Extend the tax credit program until January 1, 2020, and make the tax credit refundable beginning in 2015. The bill making these program adjustments has been introduced into the Assembly and the Senate as A3009 and S2609, respectively. The bill keeps the per-project funding cap at $5 million through tax year 2019. In 2020, unless additional legislation is passed, the project cap would revert to the pre-2010 cap of $100,000. Additionally, the proposal eliminates the historic tax credit's carry-forward provision and replaces it with a refund or credit of excess credits. The bill also makes a technical change to the program. New York's historic tax credit program only applies to census tracts at or below 100% of the state's area median income. Right now, the state uses the decennial census to determine which census tracts qualify for the credits. The proposal includes a provision that would use the five-year sample from the American Community Survey to calculate eligible areas. It's estimated that these provisions would reduce tax revenues by $20 million in fiscal year 2016-17 and reduce tax revenues annually by $30 million for the four subsequent years. The bill would take effect immediately and apply to taxpayers beginning after January 1, 2013. This bill is great news for New York's historic tax credit stakeholders. Stakeholders who suffered a setback late last year when the governor chose not 
to sign a bill increasing the project cap to $12 million. At the time, administration officials had suggested that the governor might address the tax credit program in his budget plan. The tax credit extension would provide security for those interested in developing historic properties in low and moderate income areas. Making the credit refundable would also encourage nonprofit developers or those with limited tax liability to develop historic properties, many of which are located in areas that are ideal for affordable housing development. We'll be tracking the bills as they make their way through the legislature and I'll provide updates via Twitter in future podcasts. Now, speaking of stories that we've been following since last year, the partners in the historic portable call case have filed their first petition in the new year. On January 17th, Council for Historic Boardwalk Hall, LLC, and the New Jersey Sports and Exposition Authority filed a petition for writ of certiori to the Third Circuit Court in the U.S. Supreme Court. The petition asked the Supreme Court to review Historic Boardwalk Hall, LLC versus Commissioner. As regular podcast listeners and Journal of Tax Credit readers will recall, the Boardwalk Hall case concerns the rehabilitation of the East Hall in New Jersey. In that case, the Third Circuit Court opined that the investor was not a true partner in the partnership and affirmed the Internal Revenue Service's administrative adjustment to reallocate the historic tax credits awarded for the renovation of the convention center. The defendants filed a petition in an effort to get the Supreme Court to hear the case, and the defendants' hope is that the Supreme Court would reverse the lower court's decision. In the petition, the defendant's attorney argues that the court's opinion is not consistent with federal tax law or past Supreme Court decisions. Now, it's uncertain what the chances are that the court will decide to hear the case. Once the court does decide, I'll send out a tweet about its decision. And if it does decide to hear the case, I'll provide details of the case as they become available. Now, if you have questions about your project, I encourage you to contact my partner, Tom Bosha, in Novogratz, Cleveland, Ohio office. Tom can be reached at 216-298-9000. In the local housing tax credit news, last week, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development invited comments on its planned expansion of the Energy and Performance Information Center, or EPIC. EPIC is a data system that tracks the amount and types of energy efficiency measures used in public housing. Proposed changes include expanding the data collected on the amount and type of public housing development, including low-income housing tax credit properties. Other information collected will include planning collections and performance reports that were only available before in hard copy, the physical needs assessment, and modernization by public housing authorities through energy performance contracts. HUD says that an improved EPIC system will help set targets for energy-efficient developments and help HUD track the energy performance contract process and physical needs assessment tool. Comments are due March 24th. Now let's turn to the state of Iowa. A recent study released by the Iowa Finance Authority outlined the most pressing housing priorities during the next five years namely in these areas, workforce housing, affordable senior housing, and preservation of affordable multifamily rental housing. The report also took a close look at the effectiveness of the Iowa Finance Authority's programs in addressing housing demands. The report found a great need in the state for the development of more rental housing. In addition, the report said that the low-income housing tax credit is often 
quote, the only show in town, meaning additional state-funded programs are needed to spur rental housing development. The report also found that Iowa Finance Authority's programs are most effective when nonprofit service providers collaborate with the agency. You can find a copy of this study online at www.taxcredithousing.com. In new market tax credit news, the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority has invited public comments on proposed regulations to establish the state's New Markets Tax Credit Assistance Guarantee and Loan Program. This program will enable the Development and Export Authority to issue guarantees and make loans to new market tax credit projects. Written comments will be accepted until February 22nd. The authority will also receive and accept oral and written comments at a hearing on February 13th. The new regulations will concern eligibility for financing under the program, the application process, the authority's review of an application, the terms of any financing provided, interest rates, guarantee fees, the closing on and disbursement of funds by the authority, closing costs, and other matters concerning the program. A copy of the proposed regulations can be found at www.aidea.org. Instructions for submitting comments can be found online at www.newmarketscredits.com. And finally, I'd like to thank the nearly 600 community development professionals who joined Novogratic and Company last week at our San Diego New Market Task Credit Conference. And if we weren't able to make it to San Diego, Novogratic is currently compiling recordings of the panel discussions, and that will be available via our website next week. And if you have questions in the meantime, send us an email to cpas at novoco.com. And also, we'll be in Washington, D.C. in June for our next National Novogratic New Market Tax Credit Conference. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, the Treasury Department last week published a notice inviting public comments on its annual collection of Section 1603 performance reports and certifications. Section 1603 grantees are required to submit annual reports for five years after their renewable energy projects are placed in service. This information is used to evaluate eligibility to receive payment, the amount of payment allowable under law, compliance with applicable law, and the program's effectiveness overall. Comments on as a response to this request for comments, are due March 26th. You can find a copy of the notice at www.energytaxcredits.com. And turning to the state of Hawaii, the Blue Planet Foundation released a report this month on the economic impacts of Hawaii's solar energy tax credit. The report found that the tax incentive, which covers 35% of an energy system's costs, continues to create a significant fiscal benefit for the state. According to the report, the typical return on investment for solar tax credit projects ranges from 8.9% to 10.3%. Solar energy projects account for 15% of all construction expenditures in Hawaii, and the industry employs 2,000 people locally. For the typical 118 kilowatt photovoltaic installation in Hawaii, 2.7 local jobs are added for each of the 30 years in the system's lifetime. The study also found an increased number of solar installations in lower-median income areas, meaning a broader range of homeowners now have access to clean energy. For more information, the report can be found online at 
www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Among other things, I'll discuss a recent meeting of economic development real estate and design professionals who met last week with Interior Secretary Ken Salazar and Senator Carl Levin and other stakeholders to discuss ways in which the Federal Historic Preservation Tax Incentive Program can spark development in communities that have faced significant long-term economic challenges. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.